What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Good morning, church. How are we? Good. That's good. It is an exciting morning. It was beautiful worship, a wonderful communion. Pastor Peach is revealing people's age. It's a good morning. So this morning, we are continuing on with the transformation trek. And uh, for any of you who are maybe a little bit late to the transformation trek party, uh, it's a bit of a journey that we have gone on together throughout 2022. Uh, And we've been diving into monthly uh, practices that are aimed at helping us become more like Jesus uh, and live life his ways. And, and the trek that we're, that we're doing is meant to be really practical. It's all about practical application of what we're learning rather than just the accumulation of more knowledge uh, in our mental libraries. Um, and so to help with this, we've been releasing these practice guides each month as the trek progresses. Um, They're really great uh, guides to help you implement what you're uh, hearing and what you're learning. Um, So make sure that you grab one of these, make sure you read through it, and make sure you let God challenge you on these practices. And I think that this is probably a good juncture in the transformation trek for us just to stop uh, and to remind ourselves that that these practices, they're not a means by which we achieve righteousness or by which we elevate ourselves or we earn God's favor. This is not, uh, this is not uh, us working uh, for God's favor, but it is out of our relationship with Jesus, out of our deep love for him living within us that we want to live life for him and from him. Um, And so if that desire is there by the Holy Spirit, we want to equip you guys with the tools that you need to be able to walk in the good works that God has prepared for his people to walk in. And so this morning, the next practice has landed with me, uh, and it's a really great one for us to explore. And I think that it's a really good practice because it seems as though we are walking into some pretty tough economic times ahead. The economic ground underneath us feels a bit shaky right now. It feels unstable. And so this morning's practice is all about generosity and sacrifice. And the truth of this practice, I believe, can really change our lives. Um, And although this is a really good practice, this is actually quite a hard one. Um, for me to do, because if I'm honest with you all, there are many of you here this morning in the congregation um, that are far more generous and far more willing to sacrifice than I am. And I have uh, seen that. 
And, and my, my penny-pinching mindset, it was forged in the fires of young adulthood, uh, kind of working my way uh, through Bible college and through university, living out of home, uh, pretty much surviving on two-minute migarang noodles and $2.50 lasagnas from Aldi. So once you've lived on that diet for like six years, money does not leave your hands easily. <laughs> I think after that diet, I'll either die young or the preservatives will allow me to live forever. <laughs> Time will tell. I may be the next Methuselah. So I've only been on staff here for about six months, but already I have witnessed phenomenal and profound generosity overflowing from members in this church. And I've been both uh, encouraged by it and actually really challenged by it. It has been great. But regardless of where we all sit on the scale of generosity, all of us can grow uh, in this area uh, because generosity is a core value for us here at Southport. And it should be a core value for anyone who calls Jesus Lord and wants to follow uh, him. And that is regardless of how the world around us values generosity and sacrifice. Because you guys know as well as I do that a lot of the world runs on the mantra, the more you have, the happier you will be. But Jesus totally flips that on its head. Uh, Jesus actually says that in order to follow him, it requires self-sacrifice. That, that he warns us that the endless pursuit of material accumulation is a trap. He says in Mark 8, 34 to 37, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For where, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's just pray together uh, before we continue. Lord, we thank you so much that you speak to us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we just pray this morning uh, that you would humble our hearts to hear what you are saying to us, Lord. We thank you that you don't want us to stay the same, that you want to challenge us to grow, to be more like a Jesus. And so I just pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do that work in us and you would cause us to be a generous people, uh, particularly in light of your generosity to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our lives can very easily be defined by what we spend our time and our energy chasing. But according to Jesus, you could put all your time, all your energy, all your resources into chasing after material wealth and you could gain the whole world. You could be Elon Musk rich, you could be Jeff Bezos rich, but you could still end up in the end worse than the poorest beggar. As Christians, we are called to stand out in this regard. We are called to be counter-cultural. This month's practice of generosity and sacrifice should make us shine as bright lights in a dark world. But we need to ask ourselves a probing question. Does it? Does this make us stand out? Are we different from our unbelieving peers in relation to this? Are we generous because of Jesus' impact on our lives? How often do we make choices to sacrifice a luxury to meet the needs of others. 
One of the hardest parts for me in preparing this message was that there is just there is so many ways that it could have gone. There are so many uh, verses and passages and stories and parables all throughout Scripture on the value of generosity and of giving that I found it actually really overwhelming, to be honest. There was so much there. And I don't know if you guys have heard of the term uh, overchoice before, um, but it's, it's actually a pretty old term, but it's kind of, come, it's kind of uh, been talked about a lot. Overchoice is basically this kind of... Uh, uh, this problem that people have when they are faced with too many choices. It becomes like this cognitive impairment because there's so many choices in front of you, you don't know what to choose, and then you end up not choosing anything. And so I think we all know what this is like when it comes to Netflix. So we, we go to Netflix and we're like, let's watch a movie. And you're kind of back and forwards, you scroll through your options, you're looking for something, but nothing feels like it's good enough. And in the end, you're like, oh, I don't even know. So you give up and you flip it over to kind of the archaic TV like a barbarian. And you, and it, you get to TV and what do you know? Titanic is on. And DiCaprio's doing his thing, getting his girl. And you're like, you watch and you get hooked and it's pretty good. And you sit there and you start enjoying this movie. And then your only choice left is whether or not you flick it over to Netflix so you don't have to watch that same sports bet or Garnier Fructus ad for the 37th time that hour. I mean, you would have never chosen it, but because it was chosen for you, you were happy with it and you just enjoyed it. It's actually a really interesting field of uh, research and generally overchoice is actually associated with unhappiness. Go figure. And in the West, we are so affluent that we are constantly bombarded with an array of choices and we suffer a lot from overchoice. And I'll be honest with you guys, when I was looking even at the Word of God here, trying to think of how we can go about this, I suffered from overchoice in Scripture. The Word has a lot to say about this. We could have gone with things like, you know what, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We could have dived into Proverbs and talked about how he who is generous with the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him. We could have zoomed in on the teachings of Jesus and looked at things that he said about the story of the rich young ruler and the tax collector and Zacchaeus. We could have gone over to the story of the rich young ruler, the rich man and Lazarus, the shrewd manager, his teachings that you can not serve both God and money, even the parable of the good Samaritan and his generous generosity and care. I feel exhausted just going through this. There are so many ways. There are countless teachings in the New Testament we could have explored. Like 1 John 3.17 that says, but if anyone has the world's goods but sees his brother in need yet closes his heart to him, how can the love of God abide in him? We could have looked at Hebrews 13.16 where it says, and do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Honestly, this doesn't even scratch the surface of the directions this message could have gone, but a simple truth binds it all together. God cares about the generosity of our hearts. He cares about it. He wants to get into that space and work in our hearts. And so this morning, let's let him in. Let's allow him to challenge us and change us and grow us in this. Because God doesn't want us wasting our lives chasing after the wind. He doesn't want us to spend our expected 82.9 years of life chasing material gain only to realize in our final hours that it will not deliver us what we believed it would. 
He loves us too much to let us do that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's important as we dive into this trek practice uh, on generosity that we understand what we're talking about. So we are not just talking about money or finances. We are talking about an attitude of the heart. We are talking about a willingness to give of our own personal resources to help those around us. And this can be generosity of the heart. So this can be us letting people in, letting ourselves genuinely love and care for people. This can be generosity with our time and our energy, how we serve people, how we volunteer, how, our time, how we give of ourselves, and it can also be of our finances. Generosity and sacrifice is a practice of heartfelt willingness to use our own resources to be a blessing to God and to others. And we have the best example in this. Jesus personifies generosity and sacrifice. He gave it all for us. He was absolutely wealthy and we were absolutely poor. And yet he died to transfer that wealth to us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so as his people, we are called to follow in this. And to follow in this, we need to accept some hard truths. And so this morning, I'm going to throw three hard truths out at you. So keep your eyes on them so that they don't hit you in the face. Hard truth number one. Proportionality in our generosity is important to God. So of all the scriptural kind of lessons that we could have gone through this morning, there are two main ones that I really want to focus on. Uh, and the first is from Luke chapter 21. Let's just read that together. Starting from verse 1, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, I am not saying that we are meant to all be like this widow. In fact, if you are down to your last dollar and you are struggling, we want to hear about it so that we can come alongside you and help you navigate through that. We don't have to all be like uh, the widow in this regard, but a key truth in this passage is that proportionality in our generosity actually matters to God. He sees it. He is not blind to it. Jeff Bezos cannot be considered by God more generous than you. Just because he has more, he cannot. He could give a billion dollars to the poor, but God may still consider the generosity of your heart greater than, than his. And that truth is both humbling and it's really exciting because it evens the playing field for all of us. And so with that in mind, we need to ask ourselves, what are we like as Australians? Are we generous? 
Because, it's, because we can be really blind to our own cultural bias. But what are Australians like? Are we proportional in our giving? So some research that has been done by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare found that the highest amount of do- donations actually came from people giving to religious organisations. And so that is a real credit to Christians in Australia. Even so, the average Australian claims about $933 of tax deductions for donations to charitable organisations per year. This works out to be about $18 a week. Now, that, the data isn't easy to source, and donations to churches generally aren't tax deductible. And, and a lot of people give to, to charitable causes and don't make deductions. But if this data is at all representative, uh, then the average Australian gives approximately 0.4% of their income to a charitable cause. Not 4%, 0.4%. I don't know about you guys, but I was quite shocked by that when I first saw that stat particularly in the light of the fact that Australia is one of the countries with the absolute highest wealth per adult worldwide. I mean, there's a number of different lists and ways to measure it, but basically on every list, Australia sits somewhere between first and third place. Highest average wealth per adult. As a nation, we are just like the rich putting in token amounts of our wealth. We may look generous as a nation because the total amount of money is there, but proportionally, I'm, I'm not sure that it really costs us. And so a challenge for us this morning is, are we generous? Are we generous proportionally? Do we give of our time proportionally? Do we give of our hearts proportionally? Do we give of our finances proportionally? Because a second hard truth when it comes to generosity and sacrifice is, generosity doesn't automatically get easier with wealth. Everyone's very quiet this morning. I will whisper the rest of the sermon. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus uh, tells a kind of a story or a parable of a rich fool, a man who, as his wealth grew, his generosity didn't grow alongside it. Uh, Instead, he built bigger barns to store all his accumulating wealth. Um, He didn't kind of just get enough and then say, oh, good, now I can be generous. His focus was on more. Uh, And at the end of the story, in verse uh, 21, Jesus says, but says this. He says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Look, I don't know if many of us here at SCC have barns. I don't have a barn. But I worked as a town planner for over a decade, and I can tell you that self-storage is a booming market. We, as Australians, often can't fit all the stuff that we have in our own homes. And guess what? When it comes to average dwelling size, average house size, guess who in the world has the biggest houses? Australians. We have the largest houses and we can't even fit all our stuff in it. Guys, the, it may look different, but the, this parable rings true throughout time. The lure of constantly looping our wealth accumulation back into investments without ever being generous is a strong lure. 
I heard a story a few years ago that really confronted me. It was the stories told by a man named Eddie Ogan um, about his childhood. And it was uh, a month before Easter in 1946, and the church was taking up a special uh, offering. The pastor said there was, a, there was a poor family that they wanted to give a special offering to. Uh, and so this family, they said, you know what, we want to get on board with it, we want to do it. Uh, and so the, the Ogan family, they had lost their dad a few years ago, but they jumped on board. They said, let's do it, let's sacrifice, let's save. And so they actually ate potatoes for the entire month uh, to save up money. They kind of turned the lights off early. They stopped listening to the radio to save on power. The kids ended up doing jobs around their neighborhood. They scrounged together to save money for this poor family in need for this sacrificial offering. Um, as Eddie tells the story, he says, you know, our family wasn't uh, wealthy by any means. Sometimes his sisters would get made fun of because they had kind of tattered Sunday dresses. Uh, he even says that um, they only had two knives and so they'd be eating dinner and they'd have to pass the knife around the table to the person who wanted to cut up their food. But they were happy. They were a happy family and they had a lot of fun working together, saving this money for the poor family. Anyway, the Sunday came along and the family put their donation into the sacrificial offering um, and they had saved up $70 and they were so proud to have saved that amount of money. They put it in the sacrificial offering uh, at the church that morning. But later that afternoon, the pastor came up their driveway and offered a small envelope to Eddie's mother. She opened up that envelope and there was the sacrificial offering from the church to that family. And the total amount in there was $87. They had worked all month to save money for this poor family in need. They were that poor family, and they had saved up the vast majority, all but $17. They had saved up 70 of the 87 The family was hit by it, but it didn't destroy their generosity. The family eventually gave that money to a missionary fund for people less fortunate than themselves to buy a roof for an African community because they knew that there were people less fortunate than, than themselves and they saw the value of generosity. When I first heard that story, it really shocked me. It really hit me. And, and there's a powerful truth in that for us this morning. Generosity doesn't automatically increase with wealth. If we cannot be generous in our current situation, honestly, we're unlikely to ever be. And do you know how I know that? Because out of the 400 billionaires on last year's Forbes list, only 19 of them gave 10% or more of their wealth away. The 400 richest billionaires, 19 gave 10% of their wealth away. A record high, 156, gave less than 1% away. The richest people in the world. Isn't that crazy? The two richest men in the world give away less than 1% of their wealth. As if a billion dollars isn't enough to comfortably live on. Now that 1% that they donated might be more than a billion dollars. But in the eyes of God who sees your heart, you can easily be considered more generous than they are. Most of you in this room probably already are. Both the widow with the copper coin and the Ogan family were generous to the point of sacrifice. 
a sacrifice that undoubtedly stored for them treasures in heaven. And that leads us to the third hard truth about generosity and sacrifice. It's all right for our generosity to hurt a little. Proportionality can be hard. That's why the biblical principle of a tithe is a really great one. It grows and changes alongside our means. It's consistent. It is proportional. Because when it comes to proportionality, we do get it. But in the West, it comes most naturally to our materialism. So our income goes up, and then the quality of our car goes up. The size of our home increases. The quality of our holidays balloon. The lavishness of our, and the regularity of our dining expands. And I'm not saying those things are wrong or sinful. They're not. But sometimes these things balloon at a rate that far exceeds our generosity. We can often think to ourselves, I don't have enough to be generous because the proportionality first went to upgrading our homes and cars and phones and subscriptions. And then at the end of all of that uh, proportional upgrading, we look at what's left over for generosity and for giving and we say there's not enough. And so we work longer hours to keep up with that proportionality and then we lock ourselves into that. And then we say, you know what, I can't give of my time. I can't be generous with my time. We lock ourselves into financial commitments and then we say we can't be generous. But the truth is, generosity is sacrifice. Look, I'm I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, but sometimes we think that we need to wait until we have more so that generosity won't cost us as much. But in that we miss the opportunity then to be truly generous. God wants your heart to be generous, and a generous sacrificial heart cannot be hindered by income or by means. It's all right for our generosity to sometimes hurt us a little. Now, I just want to take a moment, because... You're very, very quiet. Just to step back from the principle for a moment because we all have our own lives and our own struggles and our own circumstances. And it does look like right now we are approaching a really difficult time ahead. The cost of living is going up and that flexibility and income that some of us have will be taken away simply by interest rate rises. Some people may be battling through losing some of their luxuries, some of their convenience, and some people may be walking into a lot of financial hardship. And for some of us, that's going to affect our finances, but for some of us, it's also going to affect our time. We're going to have to work more to cover costs, which means less time to be generous with. And when we're busy with long hours and we feel exhausted, it can be really hard for us to open up our hearts uh, to the needs of others around us. It, it, it can feel overwhelming when we feel fatigued. I just want to acknowledge that this morning. As true as this is, it, it isn't easy. And the balance between being wise with our resources and being generous is a really tough one. It's not black and white. Like, we should be wise with our money. We should invest well. But we need to balance that with generosity. And, and look, I can't from the pulpit give you a number. That is something that you need to work out between you and God. I also want to take a moment really to acknowledge that the generosity uh, 
that we have here at SEC is wonderful. It's a real value for us as a church, and I have seen that really clearly. I've seen how many of you here volunteer your time and your energy in the ministries of this church. I have seen how some of you kids' church leaders buy kids' food and resources out of your own pockets, and you don't want to be reimbursed for it. You want to make that sacrifice. I have seen you guys jump on board with outreach ministries and contribute towards them as soon as we bring them up. Things like Hada and the Mooring, you guys just jump on board with it. Every time the board of elders comes together, they discuss the needs of their congregation and who the Lord may be leading them to bless and come alongside. The finances that you guys tithe into this church makes its way through this church to bless the community around us with ministries like uh, like the courtyard and the uni barbecue and the English corner and the light party and youth and playgroups and sponsoring Watoto kids. I honestly believe that this church community is filled with people who get the value of generosity and who just know that it's unbefitting for a follower of Jesus to constantly be accumulating more without also giving more. I just wanted to uh, acknowledge that this morning, but I do think that we can all grow in this because At the same time, I believe that this strain that is coming upon uh, our nation at the moment creates a wonderful opportunity for us as Jesus' people. We will have fresh opportunities to come alongside and bless people in their time of need and to shine as lights in this regard. But it will only happen if we have generous hearts. And so before we finish up this morning. This is a transformation trek. Uh, And so we need to ask ourselves, what will we do with this? What will you do with this? If you are challenged this morning, dedicate your heart to change something in relation to your generosity. Grab a practice guide, have a read through it, get some ideas. Um, You can follow this QR code to watch a a video, discuss it in your home groups, do something with us, with this. And so the first thing, though, that I believe that we need to do needs to start in our hearts. When it comes to giving, you will all be faced with overchoice. There are a million charitable causes that you could give into, and a lot of people get crippled by that overchoice and then do nothing, and they even wonder if they can make a difference. But I want to challenge you guys to have open hearts to the needs that God lays upon your heart personally. Like we talked about in the previous practice about hearing from the Spirit, be open to God using you to be generous to the people around you. Having a generous heart can cost you. Because as you open your heart to people, that vulnerability can actually allow hurt in as well. It needs... but. But that generosity that we show has to flow from a heart that loves others. It's absolutely essential. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. True generosity has to start in the heart. What about our time and our energy? Well, I actually think that we need to make sure that our schedules are open to the needs around us, that we're able to be interrupted. Is there a ministry that God's calling you to volunteer in? Is there a person that you need to make time to mentor and disciple? Is there a struggling family that needs a meal made for them? Is there a garden that needs to be weeded? I was so encouraged this week. I saw one of uh, your elders from this church on his knees in your church garden pulling out weeds. 
That elder has a job. He has a family, but he has a generous heart that understands that to lead is to serve. And the truth is, he's not the only elder I've seen in the church gardens pulling out weeds. This month, as you put into action this practice, look around to the needs around you. Where can you put your time and your energy to meet a need? You may not have extra money to splash, uh, but is there a night that you cannot binge Netflix and instead just spend time with somebody who is lonely? Have them over to your house. Show them hospitality. Could you offer to babysit maybe for a single parent so that she can spend time with her friends? What need can you meet with your time and your energy? And then finally, what about finances? Well, I think we just need to give to God what is, what is His. You know, the tithe is a really solid biblical principle. And I just encourage you guys, if you don't tithe, to let yourself be challenged in that area. The ministry of the local church is a really great starting point uh, for our generosity. But above your tithe, keep your eyes open to the needs around you. Be generous. Sponsor children. Be open to God challenging your heart when a need comes by your path because you cannot give to every need, but you also just don't need to be crippled by overchoice. After Stacy and I first heard um, that story of the Ogan family, uh, Stacy, in particular, was really challenged. It just hit her, and she wanted, to, she wanted to do something, and so she kind of came up with an idea that we would have uh, what we call a basic night just once a week for a season. Uh, and we've done it a few times, and so what we do on our uh, basic nights is that instead of kind of potatoes, we just have either rice or oats, the whole family, just a super cheap basic meal, and we have no junk food afterwards. And so once a week, we'll have our basic night, and we'll save $20 on, on food for our family, and we'll put that money towards a need. And we'd sit down with our kids, and we'd chat uh, and let them know, hey, we live very blessed lives. Most people in the world will have a rice, rice for dinner. Uh, Every night of the week, we can do it once a week to save some money and give to a need. And the kids would chat about what they want to give the money to. The one that they want to do most recently is every week we save 20 bucks. They want to buy another chicken for some impoverished community. Honestly, there's, there's going to be a whole hen house filled with them soon. I think we're up to like 20 chickens at the moment. Now, look, it's not like we did it for a month. We're not that saintly, honestly. It just, it's just once a week. And the kids, are, look, they complain a little bit. Oh, no, not basic night. Like... Stacey and I are the same. We're like, oh, no, not basic night, but oh, we keep that to ourselves. It's particularly because you can't have any junk afterwards. But it's good for them to understand from a young age that sacrificing something for the basic needs of others is a way of life for us as followers of Jesus. We can live slightly more simply so that others can simply live. It's good for our hearts and it's good for us to help meet a need. Is there something that your family can do to sacrifice to meet the needs of others rather than just kind of redirecting your donation or your tithe is there a sacrifice that you could make to meet a need that comes before you it's exciting to live that way and i've found that there is a deeper deeper joy in giving than there is in keeping for ourselves and so as we close this morning I just want to acknowledge something. Generosity and sacrifice isn't fair. 
It's not fair that we would work hard for something, that we would earn something and then give it away to somebody who didn't work hard for it and didn't earn it. Giving our limited time here on earth and giving our hard-earned money to somebody else, that's not fair. But guys, we are followers of Jesus. We live in that space of not being treated as we fairly deserve. We aren't treated fairly by Jesus. We are treated with overwhelming grace. That is our standard for generosity, not fairness. And one of the wonderful things about our life with Jesus, and this encourages me so much, is that in our generosity to others, Jesus personally receives that. He personally receives your generosity. And one day, he will thank you for it. The second main passage that I really wanted to share today, and and this is what I will leave you with, is from Matthew 25. And it is one of my favorite parts of all of Scripture. And I have often become emotional as I've read it. And I think that this passage, I, I don't want to just give you one cause that you need to kind of contribute towards this morning. I don't want to narrow in your heart so that you just do one thing and, and then you kind of just leave it there. I want to leave you with this and, and allow yourself to be challenged in your generosity broadly um, through it. Let's read together from verse uh, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As the worship team comes back up this morning as we close the service, I want to encourage you guys, take a practice guide home. In all your generosity, you can bless Jesus. Let yourself be challenged in this. We are an abundantly blessed people. We have to see that. Let's get excited about the opportunity that we all have to bless others and ultimately be a blessing to the Jesus that we love so much. It is an exciting way to live. It is a freeing way to live. And it is what we are all called to as the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you provide us opportunities and works to walk in. Lord, we want to be a generous people. We want that light of our generosity to shine before men that they would see these good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven one day. We want to live for you. We don't want to be prisoners of the world's way of thinking, but we, Lord God, want to follow you wholeheartedly, holding loosely the things of this world. 
where we struggle with that, Lord. I pray that your grace would abound and that you would equip us. And we just pray that we would go from this place with hearts excited about the opportunities, excited about what you want to do in us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys.